a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Flyracing.com. Please check them out online, whether it's uh, uh, motocross stuff, whether it's snowmobile stuff, watercraft, mountain bike. Flyracing.com has got you covered. And we thank the folks from Fly Racing for, for coming on here. Uh, Davey Millsaps, Blake Baggett, Trey Kennard, Weston Pike, just some of the dudes that uh, used uh, Fly Racing and depend on it. So, again, thanks for, for them for sponsoring this. And, of course, I'm Steve Mathis, as usual, with me on the line. A guy that I've uh, wanted to talk to for a long time. I've never met him. Obviously, uh, known his career, and uh, uh, his names come up a ton in podcasts with different riders, whether it's uh, Barnett or Burnworth or Hannah or whatever. Uh, one of the legends. He's in the AMA Hall of Fame and a three-time national champion. Former factory Husqvarna rider, factory Suzuki rider, factory Kawasaki rider. Kent Howerton. What's up, Kent? How are you, man? Uh, not doing too bad. Just trying to stay alive <laughs> yeah that's not bad right <laughs> that's getting old it's not easy yeah i hear you man no i, I got it i it's uh it's it's happening to all of us unfortunately so yeah. um thanks for doing this i really appreciate it. lots to talk about when it comes to your career um first up i guess uh do you ride at all anymore have you runs last time you rode I, I know here and there i saw your name in some vintage races here and there so yeah i'm not racing anymore it's just too much work and mm-hmm. Uh, I rode yesterday. I had a friend come out and we went to ride, so we rode. I try to ride at least once a week. Oh, uh, cool. It's kind of hard, but it depends on how I feel. Yep. Um, but, yeah, I still love riding. What do you got for a bike? What do you ride? You ride old stuff? You ride new a stuff? KTM. Uh, I got a KTM 300 XC. Oh, cool. Awesome. So, yeah, and perfect. Then, uh, it's got Fox suspension on it and you know, the FMF pipe and, and everything else is pretty well stocked for a few things. It's got some. G2 ergonomic stuff. Yeah, yeah. Throttle and oh, you know, cool. things to make the bike a little nicer. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's awesome. I was just telling you before we uh, before we started that I was going through your career, and obviously, I know about the Suzuki days. I'm, I'm 42 years old, so um, you know the the Husky and the CZ stuff was when I was really young. But I know about the Suzuki and the and the Kawasaki years, and then going through your results, like 87 and 88, when you were four years into retirement. You came out and you're top ten national rider still down in San Antonio. You rode Gainesville. You just kind of showed up and was like, "Hey, what's up, guys?" And then you're still top ten. I love it. That was great. Yeah, it was fun. I just did it for fun, and I got the, the bike was given to me by Kawasaki to ride, so I took it. Yeah, really, right? Um, it just goes to show you once you got it, you never lose it, right? You just always, always have it. So. Um, what are you doing for a living these days, or what do you do? Or, or uh, you know, obviously you, d- you did well racing, I imagine, and managed to put some money away. But what do you do for for a living, or, or are you able to just kick back and chill? Well, I don't spend a whole lot of money, but I'm basically retired and mm-hmm. still around doing different things. And I've kind of gotten into this woodworking stuff. I've been making some rustic cedar furniture and oh, different cool. things, and it's kind of it's it's fun. I never really did that stuff before. Yeah, how do you and learn about mill. how do you learn about that? <laughs> uh, well, what I do is I <clears throat> I cut these trees down and then I just make them real rough and rustic and put glass on them and do different finishes on them and uh, all kinds of neat stuff. Oh, cool! Right on. Yeah, that's kind of neat. Um, do you follow racing now? Do you, do you watch it every every week? Do I watch you, it every now and then, yeah. and everybody gets mad at me for not being more on it. But <laughs> you know, I, I try to keep up a little bit, but it, it's hard. I don't have the same interest as I did before, and 
now I seem to find something else to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you believe like four strokes? Now everybody rides four strokes, can't? <laughs> I don't like four strokes. I mean, I like them for certain things. Yeah. But uh, the kind of riding I like to do, I like to do, you know, ride over logs and road rocks and, and steep things. And, you know, the, I, I like the two stroke better. It just seems to not stall as easy down low and just feels more light and nimble. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's kind of kind of weird how you know when the two strokes came in in the early '70s and and and, and you know mid mid '70s everyone rode them and no one thought four strokes would come back. I don't think right. Like no one thought, oh, they're too heavy, they're they're too slow. There's no chance of that. And now here we are in 2017, and and there's barely any two strokes uh, made anymore, and and nobody races them. Well, you know, I think everybody thought the four stroke was going to be the most reliable motorcycle, and it turned out to be you know. A high, like a thoroughbred. I mean, it just requires a lot of work and a lot of maintenance, and it's mm-hmm. very expensive. When it breaks, it's really expensive. So, to me, for the you know, privateer, I, I think it was the worst thing that could have happened because two strokes are so easy to maintain. You mm-hmm. have good power, you can ride them. How many people can work on their own 254 stroke? Not very many. No. Especially when you start modding them up, they don't last very long. Mm-hmm. I mean, for the price of a port job and head job on a two stroke, you can't even buy a set of valves for a four stroke. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're you're right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I, I'm a former factory mechanic, so working on bikes. I'm not, I'm not bragging. I just I worked on a ton of four strokes and two strokes and everything else. And to me, it always came kind of easy, and I was able to do it. But you're absolutely right. When I talk to my buddies, I mean, a four stroke motor may as well be quantum physics. You know what I mean? They, they, yeah. Even adjusting valves. I'm like, hey, have you adjusted your valves? And they just look at me like I just asked them. You know, hey, have you gone to Mars lately? Like. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's a major deal. It's adjusting. I mean, you just got to take those shims out and be able to figure all that stuff out and get it right. And you just you can't make a mistake. I mean, it just costs so much. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, getting into your career, uh, you know, obviously everybody knows you from Texas. Uh, you're probably the best rider to ever come out of Texas, uh, wins and national championships and everything else. And I always, I've asked this question. I th- we had Blake Wharton in here um, a little while ago. I asked him and. Talked to different people over the years. Of course, Steve Wise was another great Texan motocrosser, but you would think Texas would produce a ton of motocrossers, weather, land, everything else. But we've really never seen a great Texas rider outside of you, Kent. And why is that? What is the deal with that? What, what is? I'm from Canada, so you know, I don't know. I'm from Canada, so all we had was Ross Rollerball, Peterson, Kent, and he was great. But um, uh-huh. besides that. What do you think Texas hasn't produced just great national riders year in and year out? Well, I'm not really sure. I don't know if we have the, a very good uh, racing uh, program down here where you've got you know a series and stuff that you can pull people uh, together and, and make them go around the whole state and get more people interested in racing. And mm-hmm. I just don't think we have a strong enough racing structure down here. Not the weather, to, right? Yeah, to expose people to it. You know, you have a lot of people exposed to the sport, mm-hmm. and I don't think we do it down here. Wonder why, huh? I think it's a misconception of how much land we have to ride around here. We do have a lot of land to ride, that's mostly yep. private. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to if you have a motorcycle to go find a place to ride because you know the national parks and stuff. You can't ride in most of them, and it's not as easy as people think. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Again, I've never lived there. I've just been there a ton, but I would think it'd be great. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, people are inter- asking me all the time, "Where can I go ride?" <laughs> We've got a, a dirt bikers club here, and, and yep. it's a nice piece of property. Yeah. But you got to know about it. Yeah. Um, you do you live around San Antonio? Where do you live? Uh, just north west of San Antonio, There's a little okay. town called Pelotas. Oh, okay. All right. Is where'd you grow up, and where'd you where were you based when you were, you know, um, superstar Kent Howerton? Were you always based in Texas? Did you grow up somewhere around there? Well, I, I, I born in Wichita, Kansas, and, and I grew up in Denver, Colorado. I, I lived there for sixteen years. Mm-hmm. And my parents were from Texas, so they wanted to move back, and we moved back to San Antonio, and that's lived here ever since. Okay. So when you were at the height of your uh, peak, did you live in California or did you go back and forth? As, no. Did you, you stay there as little I, as you I can. Here. Okay. So did you have a supercross yeah, track? I, I did, you like have a, did you have a supercross track built and, and, and a good outdoor track for training and all that? I've got a, a, a it's kind of a technical track here at my house. Mm-hmm. And I got two miles of trails and then I got some friends that's got some property just down the road. 
we've been working on trails and stuff there. But uh, I enjoy my track. It's it's uh, kind of hard packed soil, but it's fun and but technical. And yeah, yeah, people but I, enjoy it. It's safe, right? But I mean, like when you were factory Suzuki guy, factory Cowie guy, oh. did you? Did you have a supercross track built there? And, and I had one, but it wasn't very good. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. I didn't make it hard enough. Um, did you? And you? Uh, I mean, you got second in the supercross series. You won five races, so I imagine you had to be pretty good at supercross somewhere. Yeah, the, the funny thing about supercross, it doesn't really fit my riding style. I, I like to. I'm more of a open, wide open kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I like to go fast and. The Supercross, every time I get the bike up to speed, somebody dumped a bunch of dirt in front of me, and I had to jump it. So, <laughs> so I just, I, that Supercross just never fit my riding style. I'm a yeah. long endurance type rider. And right. I like going fast. I like the supermoto. I like I like road racing. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd have got into road racing a little bit more when I was still wow. young enough. Yeah, we'll talk about the Superbikers, because that was, growing up, that was like in Canada, we got two races a year on TV, the Carlsbad USGP and the Carlsbad Superbikers on ABC. That's all yeah. we got. So I watched you win that. Um, so your success in Supercross, you really, like, even when you were winning races, you were like, oh, I'm not that comfortable with this stuff. Like, you didn't you didn't love it. No. Nope. It didn't come natural to me. I could do it. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't really feel, you know, it wasn't my style. Mm-hmm. Um. So again, I'm I'm younger um, than than you and growing up, but I've always heard Kent Howerton was the first guy to really use the clutch on a dirt bike as a racer and really you know really stab the clutch to get instant power and and help himself in turns and everything else. Is that true? And where did you learn that? And is that a motocross action myth that I grew up reading, Kent? Did you really, you know, John Michelle Bale was one of the first guys we talk about to hit the whoops in fourth, uh, and that's what a lot of guys do now. And and he was one of the first guys to pioneer that. Were you the guy, the clutch? Is that is that true? Well, I I, I think so. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody really knew what what to do with the clutch, and, and <laughs> how I learned to use it was I was riding old Kawasaki Trail Boss, my first bike I had, hundred cc. Yep, had no power, and I liked watching the roost. I loved watching the roost come off the, the tires. So I, I couldn't make a roost for my bike that didn't have enough power. So what I'd do is I'd go over this bump and put the bike in third gear and get the wheel spinning really fast when it's light, and then when mm-hmm. it come down, it'd make a nice roost. Well, I learned how to feed that power in to get that wheel to do that. And so what would happen when I'd get to the motocross track, the same thing. It's just like a high-gear dragster. You, sure. You, you, you slip the clutch until you've got to the point where the ratios match up, and then you lock it up, and away you go. So you end up with so much more exit speed. Yeah, and uh, you know I think I think Jody and and Steve saw me do it up in Omaha, Nebraska, and they go, "What, what did he just do?" Yeah, and they go, "I don't know. Let's watch him <laughs> the next lap." So, you know, that was kind of my thing. I did it by accident, but it really worked good, and I used it over and over and over. Now, did pass people down straightaways. Yeah, on did. a slower bike. Wow, that's crazy. It's crazy to me that like I mean I grew up you know, using the clutch all the time. And that's what I got taught and everything else. And it's crazy that people didn't think about that until you started doing it, you know? Um, yeah. but, but let me ask you this. Like we know the older bikes, mid seventies bikes, late seventies bikes, uh, DeCoster has spoken about this part of a job as a racer back then was to nurture your bike to make it last. Like they weren't that reliable. So did you have yeah, a lot of clutch course. issues? Oh Yeah. Eric had to change clutch plates just about every month. <laughs> Your mechanic's like, Kent, what are you doing? <laughs> well, they they couldn't figure out what I was doing. And then, <clears throat> funny thing, we were in a race, and Tony Stefan, I passed him going down a straightaway in practice, mm-hmm. and he came over to me, and he said, what are you doing? How are you doing that? I said, I'm slipping the clutch, Tony. Yeah. So he went, and he started doing it, and then Keith Cardi came over. He says, what did you tell Tony? He's burning <laughs> up all the clutches. <laughs> Keith's like, you oh, know, man. They just, they just didn't. You know, understand exactly what was going on. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And I imagine the clutches weren't made for that, right? They were just made to start off, and that was it. And then, yeah, they, then nothing was real durable back then. No, I mean, metallurgy was, you know, not very good. And mm-hmm. just, everything was just fragile. Yeah, like like I said, the Coster was telling me one time, like you know, even when he was f- world champion and won works bikes, uh, you had to be like, okay, I can't push it on this drop off. I can't push it on this jump. The bike will break. 
the pipes will get crushed, the downpipes or whatever, you know? And interesting because nowadays that never comes into play. Well, the bikes are super reliable now. That's, you know, they're just they're works of art. Um, you know, I think one thing that helped me learn how to keep the bike together was I had such a piece of crap, my first bike, <laughs> that if I wanted to ride, I had to keep it together. So if it broke, I had to figure out what was wrong with it mm-hmm. you know, and fix it and, and go ride it. And then if I rode it too hard and sometimes it broke, I'd figure well, why did I do that? Right. How can I stop that? Mm-hmm. It, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot how the bike was built and, you know, how it worked and right. taught me a lot about, you know, how metal behaves, you know, how vibration affects it. And you, you can learn a lot by riding a lot of old crap. So you moved to Texas, like you said, uh, when you're younger, you start riding, you start getting good at dirt bike riding. Um, are you at this point thinking like, I want to be a professional racer and, you know, make a lot of money? Are you like, ah, I'm just going to try this and then I got to get a real job? Like, did you start thinking around 16, 17, 18 years old? Like, I, I'm, I'm really good. I want to start making a living being a pro racer. Um, I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. I, I uh, wanted to ride motorcycles. Mm-hmm. That's all I wanted to do. I had a job at Kinney selling shoes and I didn't like that. And just one thing led to another. I just, I, I just wanted to ride and I, I saw that this guy down these trails is riding that, and he asked me if I'd ride his bike. He kind of liked working on the bikes. Mm-hmm. So we ended up going to the first race, and I raced in 125 expert class, and I finished third overall. Mm-hmm. And then I just kept getting better and better. And that led to a, a dealer sponsorship and then to a distributor sponsorship to a factory sponsorship. So I didn't really have to. I My, my speed just opened the doors, and I just kind of fell through them. Interesting. So I was yeah. pretty, pretty fortunate. Uh, how'd you do your first national? Do you remember? You know, I, I can't remember. I'm just trying to think the first national. I guess it'd be, it was, uh, it was 74 and it says, it, it says it was on a CZ at cycle trails, Moto park. And you got 14th overall. Yeah. I, I don't even remember that. And then a week later you got sixth and then fourth at, at Lake Whitney. Uh, and you were on your way on a CZ. <laughs> That's yeah, how long I, ago that I, was. I, 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 Went to uh, Baldwin, Kansas, in a second in an interim. Uh huh. On, you know, I think that was seventy three. And the, so, when does Husky, Husky comes in and and says, "Hey, we'll give you a little bit of money and some bikes and parts." And well, Husky, I, I the the bike I had in seventy four when I won that two fifty championship, uh huh, sport class. That was a, a frame that they had thrown away in the trash up in Ohio. That was Marty Tripes's bike, and he had stretched the frame and was no good anymore. Well, I dug it out of the dumpster, took it home, put all my stuff on it, and went to the first race, and I think it was, you know, done. I think it won. But anyway, I won the series on that old bike, and yeah. Husky had Bob Grassi and uh, Gary Simmons, and they got hurt and kind of just left the door open for a bike, and then in the 75, after I won that little championship, Everybody was offering me stuff to ride, and I, I was loyal to Husky. I stayed with them. Yeah, probably, probably would have been good to leave. Yeah, uh, didn't get any support at all. Oh wow! Eric and I were out on the road and just got no support. I mean, we had silver cage bearings in for the lower end, and we'd have to pop the bearings out and put you know out of a new cage and put those in the silver cage bearing, put the oh, bearing back together. Oh, we did that every race. Oh geez, I think somebody like Husky could, could give us a bearing. Yeah, yeah, really, right? Oh man, you no, know, we're. Well, we were not much of a factory team. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of starting to transition. Obviously, um, you know, at this point, Husqvarna was Swedish, of course, and uh, people may remember, may know them now. Is you know, KTM owns them, but um, and and things were starting to switch towards the Japanese at this point, and the bikes, the Japanese bikes, were starting to come out pretty good and starting to get better and better. Um, but you win the 500 championship for Husky. Right? How much was that worth? Yeah, that was a challenge. That was a real <laughs> challenge. Uh, we had a lot of trouble with the bike. I mean, there's just a lot of issues with different parts. And, you know, Eric is pretty good at coming up with ideas. And okay. We had to make uh, all kinds of stuff. We had to put a 530 chain on it, bigger sprockets. You know, and I think Flex so bad, it just throw the chains off. So we made Holy the chain guide and made double them up, welded them together. Just made the thing stiff as could be, so finally got that fixed. It was just one thing after another. I mean, we had one good cylinder, the fins were falling <laughs> off of it. We bolted it together to keep it going, and I mean, it just 
It's, it's crazy stuff that you have to do. Then the bike was slow. It's like an enduro, 250 enduro compared to everybody else's bike. How'd you, I had a chance how'd to How'd you ride. win the title? Uh, Jeez. Um, I didn't know I couldn't. <laughs> Nobody told me I couldn't. Right. Except for your cars makers. Cars makers came up to me in Axton, Virginia after I, I won. And he uh, goes, you can't, you can't win on that bike. And I go, why not? <laughs> you just don't understand. Yeah. Well, I guess not. Wow. But uh, yeah. I, I got a chance to ride Gary Simic's 500 when we went to the motocross trophy to nations. Mm-hmm. And it was a 500 Kawasaki, and I couldn't believe how much different that bike was than what I was riding. It was just day and night. I mean, yeah. Boy, would I love to have had that bike. Yeah, I guess you, like you said, though, you're just you're naive to know that there's any be- yeah, anything better, any right? Better. Yeah, right. I, I, I think the, you know the best thing I had on the bike was the Fox shocks on the back because they had 11 and a half inches of travel. That's a lot back then. Was it okay? Worked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, interesting, man. Did you did you get a good bonus from Husky? Like how how did you like were, were they freaking out over over you winning this title? Yeah, I got uh, two thousand dollars in a chainsaw <laughs> and some spoiled milk. <laughs> a chainsaw. Here you go. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for coming out. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so when does Suzuki call you? That that next year or? Well, I I stayed with Husky again. Okay. And in '77 we had lots of issues. I'd, I'd get in the lead in the race and. Freaking counter shaft would break and sprockets fall off laying on the ground when I was leading a race. And I was leading rabbit run up in Dallas at Trans Am race, and the same thing happened then. Sprocket broke. I mean, the heat treating problems with the metal. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't doing very good, and I was talking to uh, everybody trying to get any kind of ride I could lined up. Yeah. I did not want to ride for Husky again. <laughs> no. And I uh, I talked to Mark Blackwell, and I Mark came down to San Antonio, and I took him trail riding, and I, I had kind of like a supercross-style trail riding to okay. where I jumped between these trees and stuff. And yep. Mark goes, man, anybody that can ride like that can needs a ride. So Mark worked real hard to give me a ride at Suzuki, and he got me a ride in 78. And I, I didn't – I think the salary was like $15,000. Yeah. But I was just glad to have the bike. I had a, I had a real works bike. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a real time in my life. I had and, a works bike and a real company, like a, lots of money, support, and good mechanic, and everything else, right? Like a like a and and, and somebody wanted to know what I thought about the bike instead of telling me just go ride it and don't worry about <laughs> leaving that. Um, Husky did not want any opinion. Yeah, weird man. Yeah, um, like okay, so earlier in the seventies, you know. This is still the era where the 500 World Championship was, you know, the premier championship in, in motocross, and the Europeans were great, of course, at this time, and Supercross was still coming into a little bit. You know, Brad Lackey left for Europe early uh, in the 70s uh, and, and went over there. Did you want to do that? Did you dream of that like a lot of these guys in the mid-70s? Did you well, ever yeah, get an offer? I was going to go ride the 250 GPs. Oh, were you? Yeah. And uh, that's when I had that uh, accident with my wrist. My skateboard was broken in half and dislocated. And when was that? What year was that? I think it was 81. Oh, okay. So, like, after Suzuki and, days or, or mid-Suzuki years. Well, were... that was right in my peak at Suzuki. Yep, yep. So I was I was going to go run the GPs for him and try to win the world championship, but then that happened, so I, oh, I couldn't do it. Wow, the, a great a great what if question uh, for Moto because of course Laporte goes over in '82 and he wins the 250s mm-hmm. and Lackey wins, you know, eventually. But wow, I didn't know that I because I, I would have had a good chance. I was riding oh, for sure. really well. Yeah, the bike was good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I always find I it funny, like know. people don't realize like Tony D and yourself and Lackey and Pomeroy. I mean, you guys, you know, a lot of you guys would have been to Europe or went to Europe if you'd been able to get rides and, and everything else, because that was where, that's what was considered the pinnacle of motocross, right? Right. Yeah. That was, yeah. That's what you wanted to be the best. You had to be the world champion. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting how, how uh, we, we don't think about that now. Um, so Suzuki, you get at Suzuki. Okay, and there's this kid, Bob Hanna, and you're always linked with Hanna, Howard Tannen. Let me ask you that first off. Like, does that bug the shit out of you a little bit, that, that, that Hanna and Howerton are always together? And, I mean, you beat him. Uh, you know, you guys had, of course, the battle at Saddleback. He missed a year with a broken leg. Um, and everybody said, oh, can't just one because no Hanna was here. Well, the next year he comes back, and you guys have the Saddleback race. You beat him in the championship that year. But still, people... Just talk about Hannah and Howerton. 
Well, I, I, I think that one race, you know, when you got two guys riding to the point where they're going to kill each other, <laughs> it draws a little attention. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, for the whole moto. Um, you know, I, I had started, I, uh, in, uh, Hannah was, uh, uh, I didn't understand what he was doing, okay? <laughs> I didn't understand how important training was. Right. And I would always, I'd get, I'd get a better start, mm-hmm. and then here he'd come. And I couldn't hold him off. And I started thinking about it, and I started wondering about this training deal. Maybe it has something to do with it. So I started running, felt like crap, and I just said, I'm going to stick with it. And I started, towards the end of 79, I started beating him, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, then when he got hurt and came back, we were at Saddleback, and that's how back we were at uh, Sacramento. Yeah. And uh, I a lot of the press was asking me, well, how do you think Hannah's riding now? And I said, oh, I think he's riding faster now than he ever has. Mm-hmm. I think somehow it got back to him that I, I said that he's never ridden as fast as I have. Oh, okay. But, you know, whatever. I don't know right. what's true and what's not true. Yeah. Anyway, I beat him by a minute of moto. That's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And we went to Saddleback, and I had the flu, a really bad flu. And then there's another the whole thing that nobody really understands or really knows about. Mark Barnett and I had a little friendly wager going on, mm-hmm. and it was just a, a, a competition deal between the two of us, and we wanted to see who could win the most motos. So Mark was winning one twenty five, dominating, won the one twenty five moto. Yeah, and I go, God, I got to go out there, I got to win, I got to win that two fifty moto. Uh huh. And so I wasn't really riding that well. I felt like crap. So Hannah thought I was messing around with him because I couldn't get around him and pull away. So that's what kind of started the whole deal. We started banging bars, and it just escalated and escalated. And but, but, you know, he thinks I was after him, and in all reality, I was just trying to yeah do, do the deal with Barnett. I've never seen this race on video. Is it out there on video? Yeah, yeah. I need to. I need to find it. I've read about it. I've seen photos. I've, I've got the MXA. You know, but it it, it, it just it's, uh, so it, it you know. Go ahead. Well, okay, so Hannah beats you in, in 78, your first year at Suzuki. Uh, in 79, uh, you guys go at it. He breaks his leg. You win again um, the next year, and it's kind of like you're the number one rider in American motocross, really. Did it bug the shit out of you? Then people kept saying, oh, Hannah's got a broken leg. Don't worry about it. He, did it Did it get to you a little bit? Well, yeah, it did a little bit. I mean, yep. Um, you know, it's... It's just racing. Yeah. Um, that. Yeah. Now, Bob obviously has talked. I've done a couple. I've done two or three of these with Bob over the years, and I know him a little bit here and there. He he likes talking to the media. He likes putting his quotes out there. Jody at MXA, I think, and him and Hannah were were good buddies. Um, I always feel like Kent Howerton never gets the side of the story on whether you know whether Bob was just being outright dirty or <laughs> what was going on. Well, I, I I think you know Bob's got some interest in the, the video, so the more he can stir that up, the more interest people would be going out to buy it. Uh huh. But he has, uh, you know, there's a little bit of self interest in a lot of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, sometimes, um, I'm, yeah. Go, go ahead. I just, you know, I, I know what happened, and most of the people around me know what happened. Mm-hmm. And then it's it's past. I don't care. You know, yeah. I get along with just about everybody I raced with. You know, now that I see. And he's probably the only one that is, you know, the one I don't talk to. And yeah, just, you know, he's Hannah and, and I'm I'm me. That's just yeah. the way it is. That's so funny, Kent. That you know, in in 2017, still some rivalry there. You know what I mean? Um, and, and hey, yeah, like you know, like it, it was a great time in motocross racing in America. And I always felt like you never got your side out or your voice out as much as him about all this stuff, you know? Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't. And yeah. uh, it's, I just, I, I would, I, it doesn't bother me. I mean, I, I'm very content with what happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't, it doesn't make me stay awake at night worrying about it. Right, right. I think it gets you lost. Know, things are, yeah, go ahead. The thing that is important now is, is having good friends, enjoying mm-hmm. life, and, and trying to stay healthy. I mean, people get too focused on what they're doing and day-to-day stuff and lose sight of that. I mean, it's, when that's taken away, you realize what you had. People don't realize, I think, that you beat him that year. 
right? They always think Hannah came back from the leg injury and sort of reestablished himself. And he, I think he did win the Super uh, – no, Barnett won the Supercross that year. But um, yeah. people, for, people forget that you won the battle. You beat him in the, in the, for the title. Yeah. You know? And, you know, once I figured out that I wasn't in good shape and started training, once I got the, the endurance factor mm-hmm. up, yeah. it made me such a – a stronger rider. I mean, I was so confident. I knew when I went to the line, I was going to win. I knew I could get a bad start and still win. So I, I, I raced a, a race in Atlanta, and I came off the track, and I wasn't even breathing hard. Stopped, picked my mechanic up, and we sat there and talked for a while. But I mean, that's how how much energy I had left. And you know, it was it was a neat feeling. Yeah, I, that's that, that's when I was going to go to Europe, and that's when I got hurt. And, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, it, for a short period there, I felt like, you know, I could beat anybody, anywhere, anytime. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think, like I said, I think at this time you were kind of considered the number one motocross racer in America, you know? Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very hard place to get to. <laughs> yeah. A rider struggle to get there. Oh, yeah, whether it's uh, Ryan Dungey, Ryan Velpoto, Stewart, Carmichael, mm-hmm. I mean, whatever, it, whoever it is, it doesn't matter the era. The, the work involved into getting to be, you know, uh, a national champion. Yeah, and and there's, yeah. there's so many people today that have access to every bit of knowledge that, you know, has been mm-hmm. produced over the years. And, yeah. you know, it, it comes down to who wants it the worst and which writer happens to feel the best on that day and has more confidence. And, you know, it, it's a, it's a fine line. Um, you said you said at the beginning of this pod that Supercross never came easy to you. You know you, you weren't that fan of it. But your first win at Anaheim in '79, what was that? What was that like? Do you remember that? And and talk about that race a little bit. Well, Anaheim was a, a bigger track. It was, mm-hmm. it was more natural. It had you know a nicer soil, and it just fit, fit me a lot better. So I felt comfortable on that track. And 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 it was just a was it? A, did you take off in hole shot? Did you have to pass for the lead, or how'd that go? And I think I won it twice. Uh-huh. And the last the last one I won, I won was between me and Barnett. I just kept riding and riding and riding and caught up to him, and mm-hmm. then he made a mistake, and I got around him in the last couple laps, and I won the race. From 78 to, like, 80, 81, 82, how good were those Suzukis? Um, the 81 Suzuki was really the one that was good. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. The others were okay. Mm-hmm. They had some issues. The forks weren't that great. I mean, at, at Hangtown, there's, I've got the video on VHS, and I can see the forks chopping coming in the corner, and I lose the front end run off the track. So I had such a big lead, I could get back on the track and didn't lose it. Uh-huh. But uh, the, the, the real bike is the 81. Yep. And that's the one where I had in my contract that Suzuki had to do anything that I asked him to do to the bike. It was in my contract. It was in the contract? Wow. <laughs> yeah, for that year, I had full power over what was on that bike. Uh-huh. And it's amazing what you can do when you have that in your contract. It's amazing if you do a good year that they don't think about that, and then they can revert back to their old ways. Because it was only in my contract for one year, even though I had a three-year contract. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Kind of crazy. But yeah. <clears throat> we, you know, I went over there and, I told them everything I wanted to have, and they had everything there. I got to the factory, and, and, and the head guy there, all two of vehicles in the world, said, what do you think of the bike? And I said, it looks good. I said, yeah. I think the pipe and you know this fender sticks out a little bit here. Next day, all that was fixed. So, huh. Wow. It was, and you know, we won almost every race that year and almost every series. Yeah. So you think that they would they'd think, well, maybe this guy might know a little bit about <laughs> what's going on. So we, we get the next year's bike. It's not in my contract. I had the broken hand, and my lap times were real slow. Uh-huh. And they just they, they, they went by lap times. They said, well, your lap times are real slow. <clears throat> so we raced uh, Anaheim. Yeah. I, I didn't do very well that year because I, I just barely qualified. And everybody was saying the bikes were slow. And we had the big meeting the next day at Suzuki. And uh-huh. they get to me, and I said, well, I told you that. Bikes are slow, but you said my lap times are too slow, so <laughs> I guess I don't know. Yeah, you're like, looking. one year ago, I was the best rider in America. I finished second in the Supercross points. I won the national championship, yeah. And now now I'm an idiot? <laughs> well, it's not even about what you win. It, it, it's the fact that we, we had such a winning year all yeah. of Suzuki. Yep. So the work that went into the bike was the part that they just didn't understand. 
Hey, thanks everybody for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis podcast on Racer X. I want to talk to you a little bit about Race Tech. The folks at Race Tech have been uh, on board with us for a long time. And use the code PulpMX17 when you're checking out to save money. Get your suspension done, please. Come on. Give your bike some love. All right. If, if you're looking to get the most of your bike suspension, get Race Tech's proven lineup of suspension components and services done at the headquarters in Corona, California, or at your local Race Tech service center. And check out the helpful guides on Racetech.com and pick up a do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Things have been around a long time. Also, too, Racetech doing engines now, valve jobs, porting, honing, decking, and more. Whether you're looking for a rebuild or a high-performance upgrade, Racetech's engine services department experience, staff, and state-of-the-art equipment have you covered. I can vouch for that. I've seen it myself. Give Racetech a call and mention Pulp Mex for a special discount. Please, check them out. Thanks to the guys at Racetech. Hey, Randy Richardson from Michelin here, and I'd like to thank the Pulp MX Show listeners for your support and share some information about Michelin motorcycle tires. Michelin offers motorcycle tires for everything from cruisers to sport touring, sport bikes, and adventure touring motorcycles. And as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our iconic partnership with Harley-Davidson, you'll find Michelin Scorcher tires on an increasing number of factory-equipped Harley-Davidson motorcycles. New for 2017, Michelin introduces the new benchmark for sport bike tires, the Michelin Power RS, featuring many of Michelin's patented technologies, all of which contribute to the incomparable grip, handling, and flickability of the Michelin Power RS. I just want to hear the motocross stuff. Fair enough. Let's focus on the Michelin Starcross 5. Because the Pulp MX Show listeners are important to Michelin, we're going to continue to sponsor Steve's janky radio show. That's right. While I'm not like some people who say... I know everything. I do know a few things about motorcycle tires, and I'd like to share some of the key features and benefits of the Michelin Starcross 5 tires with you. And I promise it's not a bunch of corporate... Blah, blah, blah. The Michelin Starcross 5 tires are specifically designed for use in a broad range of conditions and terrain. They're available in sand, soft, medium, and hard versions, and are offered in 21 size and fitment applications. Yeah, you like that? In addition to the exceptional performance and durability, the redesigned architecture of the Michelin Starcross 5 features a bead profile that makes the tires easier to install. And everyone knows... Easier mounting, always a good feature. If you're riding on Michelin Starcross 5 tires, but you have friends that are still buying other brands, please tell them... No, 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 no. Encourage them to try a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires. And if you haven't tried Michelin Starcross 5 tires yet... You're out of your mind, dude. Visit your local dealer or online retailer to purchase a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires and install them on your bike. Who knows, they might just help you learn to do a backflip in a day. It worked for the Doom Goon. To learn more, visit MichelinMotorcycle.com and follow us on Instagram at Michelin Motorcycle. It just got worse after you left, by the way. They put the gas tank in the airbox in 83. It just got mm-hmm. worse. <laughs> um, did you, uh, you and Bomber, uh, again, I, I grew up a big Bomber fan when I was a kid, and uh, I got to talk to him on one of these, too, and I got to know him because I, when I was a mechanic, I worked for Tim Ferry, and Bomber built his tracks, and Bomber built Chad Reed's tracks, and I was around that, too, so I got to know Bomber a little bit, and he was a gnarly dude, three-time 125 national champion, a Supercross champion. He missed, I think, another two Supercross titles by, you know, six or seven points, one year to Bailey, one year to Hanson, but... um. He's a real understated guy, a little bit like yourself, Kent. Like, like he didn't, you know, he, he was like you, one of the baddest dudes around, and and one of the all time champions. And he, it's like trying to talk to Bomber about his career. He's just like, yeah, it went well and whatever. But uh, at the time, you two were unbeatable, unstoppable. Um, how'd mm-hmm. you get? How'd you get along? Good. Oh, we got along great. Uh, Mark used to stay down in my house. Mm-hmm. I kind of taught him how to ride Supercross and. When it came time to, to ride, you know, Supercross, he went in and tried to negotiate, and they didn't want to let him race. And I said, I was taking him in the rental car back to the airport, and I said, well, what do you really want to do? You mm-hmm. know, I want to ride Supercross. And I said, okay, let's go. Go back in there. Said, Just don't take no. Yeah. So he comes bouncing back out in a big happy smile on his face, and I said, you get it? He goes, yeah, I got it. I'm riding Supercross. It's so, crazy that the, you know, it's crazy the OEMs didn't well, want guys to ride Supercross. <laughs> Well, Suzuki was wanting to ride the smaller bikes, mm-hmm. and they just they just didn't think he was ready, and he was ready. He was a short guy, but still, yeah, he was ready. Um, yeah, Mark had a uh, like a, a pit bull desire when he got going. He just he didn't want to get near him. Mm-hmm. He, he he had that goal in mind, and he wanted yeah. it. 
Um, I imagine both of you guys were incredible practicers and trainers. Like you said, you, you launched onto it. Apparently, when you went to Bomber's house in Alabama, Grandma's farm or wherever he was, there was just Suzuki's everywhere that were broken or out of gas or whatever. He was just going through bikes like six packs. Well, I never went down to his house. Oh, he you never? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Well, I kept everything running. Um, and what I what I used to do is I used to invite the riders down to my house. Like I had Jeff Ward, I had Billy Lyles. Oh, okay. Anybody I could get them down to the house. Yep. Because I knew that even though it's going to help them, it's going to help me. Yeah. I even, I even told the Suzuki when I was there, I said, send these guys down to my house. Yeah. I'll ride with them, help them, they'll help me, help everybody out. And they said, okay, we'll do it. Oh, cool. That, I think that hurts the guys today because so many people don't want to share, you know, what their track's like, what their riding's like. Yeah. And, you know, if you benefit one person, that will benefit you. Or you can go out there and not do that, and then have thirty people that are faster than you. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I yeah. found it a win-win situation. Um, did you and Bomber ever ever have anything anything on the track like where you guys got into it in Supercross or anything? I mean, you always rode different national classes, but did you guys ever you know get uh, slam into each other in Supercross or anything? We 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 ran into each other a few times. Yeah. But, you know, it's just because we both wanted to win. Yeah, yeah. It's just you know, racing. Right. Um, Rubbin's racing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, nowadays, can't if you touch a guy, everyone, guys like me in the media, we we talk about it, we debate it, everything else. So it's a different era, that's for sure. Oh yeah. Um, this whole time, are you ever talking to Hannah? Are you guys bitter rivalries, the whole, bitter rivals the whole time? I don't, I don't have nothing against him. I mean, he's just he's who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, he's got his life, and I got my life. And... Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at the end of '82, your contract's up. Um, what, how does the Kawasaki well, deal actually, c- come along? Or do you are you are you overseas? Actually, I had one more year left on my Suzuki contract. Oh, you did? Yeah, and I had an option in there that I could get out if I asked for more money and they didn't want to pay it. Oh, really? Huh? Interesting. And Suzuki was I, there's some something was going on. They were just cutting back, and mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be there anymore. I didn't have any confidence in it. Yeah. And I wanted to spend more time working on the bikes anyway. Right. So I talked to Roy Turner a lot, and I went and rode the bikes at Indian Dunes, and I didn't like the Kawasaki's at all the way they were. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you think they'd let me do these things? Uh-huh. And he, he was kind of bummed out because he thought the bikes were really neat. <laughs> and he said, well, I think they'll let you do anything you want. And I said, good, let's get started. Really, huh? So I went back to Kawasaki, and we looked at all the bikes they had upstairs. Yeah. And I found one that looked kind of like... Something that had some potential. We pulled it down, started working on it, took it out to Saddleback a few times, kept making changes, kept getting better and better, and then we sent all that stuff to the factory, and then they came out with that 83 SR bike. So a lot went into that to get that bike from the direction they were going to the direction of that SR bike. Hey, 83 had the red seat, right? Yeah, orange. Yeah, we called it the olive. <laughs> um, that's crazy that... Yeah, so basically, Cal, the reason you went to Kawasaki was because, hey, you could help them build a bike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, and this was Wardy, Goat Brecker, or no? Lyles? Yeah, uh, Goat was there and Billy Lyles. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Um, and you rode the 500 Nationals for them? Rode the, yeah, I started out on the 500. Yeah. And did, I won one race, I won the Gabe Gainesville. Uh-huh. Her back, and the bike was just heavy. It was two hundred and thirty-three pounds, I think. Oh, geez, dry. Oh, that's heavy. <laughs> yeah, and, and it just—it had plenty of horsepower. That wasn't an issue. Suspension wasn't great, and and I, I really wished I would have spent more time on the suspension, but we just didn't, and we kind of suffered from that. I'm but. I'm, yeah. I'm I'm glad you got rid of the rear number rear fender number plate. I'm glad you told them, hey, oh, you got to you got to ditch this. <laughs> I hated that thing. It's so, so ugly. It hit you in the butt. Yeah. Hey, um. Of course, your teammates with Jeff Ward, who became you know one of the best motocrossers ever, and but but for a few years. Wardy didn't have a lot of results around 82, 83, uh, 84. He won, he won, uh, he started, I think he won 125s in 84, 85. He won both titles. Did you, 
Did you see this in Wardy? Did you see a kid that you know could become one of the all timers? Well, uh, Jeff has a lot of natural ability. He he doesn't understand the bikes as well, but okay. you know he can put him on anything. He can ride it, mm-hmm. and you know I think the bikes were holding him back in those in those years. And I oh, think, okay. You know when I in '84 when I left Kawasaki, the bikes were just starting to come around yep. on the work that we had done. So then he got to benefit that, and I, and I think it showed off. Did you '84? You rode 250 nationals, I think, right? Mm-hmm. How come you switched down from 500s, or did they? Was that your choice? It just was too hard to ride. It yeah. just it beat me up too bad. Cowie had like he was, was a beast. Cowie had like one of the first water cool 500s, didn't they? Factory bikes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Looked like a Maytag washing machine, the very first one. <laughs> Why? Just because it was you so see the engine because it was half water cooled and half air cooled. It looked strange. It was. I do not remember yeah. that. I do not remember that at all. I try and find some pictures. You'll know, be surprised what it looks like. <laughs> I always thought it was like super trick because it had water cooling and disc brakes. They were early on that, you well, know. It it, it 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 turned out to be a really nice motor, and it's. I think today it's still a good motor. I'd love to have that motor in a KTM chassis. Uh, so eighty three, you finished second to Glover in five hundred nationals. Uh, was it a close mm-hmm. race? Was it? Did, uh, let me let me see the points here. Uh, yeah, you only finished like 30, 20 something points ahead of you. So. You gave him the business yeah, all, all year? I was starting to lose interest by then. <laughs> starting to lose interest in racing? Yeah. Um, so what 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 does Kawasaki say when you're, you're like, hey, uh, I need a Cowie 500 with slicks, huge disc brakes, and a, a real tall sprocket because I'm going to race super bikers. How does that come about? Uh, they, they, they said no. They told me no. Really? They weren't going to do let me. And then Wardy wanted to do it. They said yes. <laughs> so they're building Wardy's bike. Uh-huh. And Roy Turner, I was doing a, a, a movie, one called Storm at Home up in Dallas, and Roy kept me informed of what was going on. He says, stay ready. Be ready to ride. Hold on a second. Go back to the okay. movie thing. Hold on. Go back. You were doing what? A movie? Yeah, it was a movie called Storm at Home. What was that about? Gil Gerard. Yeah, the guy, movie. the guy from the space movies, Jill, Gil Gerard. Yeah. What were and, you? You were stunt riding? Well, yeah, Stan, Stan Barrett invited me there and Dave Munganis. Oh. And we had a great time. I didn't know anything about this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. But, uh, anyway, where were we? Uh, Roy Turner said, stay ready. We're building oh, Roy's yeah. bike. And, and Roy, Roy said, just be ready. He said, um, what I'm doing is I'm building some their parts, and it was getting time to go race. And Roy went up to guys at Kawasaki and said, "Hey, uh, I just happen to have enough parts here to build Ken Howard for the bike." They said, "Okay, go ahead and do it." So he kind of put that deal together, snuck behind their backs. But anyway, got the bike and ended up winning the race. Wow, how cool was that? Now, again, you talked about how you like that kind of riding, like going fast isn't is mm-hmm. fine for you. And what was it like to? I mean, did. Eddie Lawson was doing these things, and, and, and it was dirt tracker guys as well, and motor. It was a super cool deal. Yeah, that's that's what was fun, especially the first one, because you you get there and you don't really know what to expect, and mm-hmm. you've never seen. You know, at least I hadn't met a lot of these riders. Yeah, it was my first chance to, to get to know them, and and it was just it was interesting because nobody knew what was going to be the winning combination. Right, and right. Start out with motocross tires. And yeah, tried all kinds of weird things and bearings. And, Weird stuff, and you know, it turned out to be a motocross bike with those tires on it, and it was just fun. I mean, the bikes, those those bikes were different than the ones that they race now with the slicks on. The ones with the slicks on, you have to be hit the corner so much harder, and they slide. They make more of a one line mm-hmm. to me. And the, the dirt track tires, the bikes were loose, and it just it seemed like there was more room to pass, more things you could do. The bike was dancing around, and it was, mm-hmm. it was just neat. God, you must. I like feeling the bike. Dance around at speed, you know, where you're just right on the edge of grip. Yeah, yeah. You must have had some sketchy moments on on the on the dirt though with that thing. <laughs> oh, I did. One one of the big problems was, you know, when you come in there and you start to slide, we had those steering dampeners on them mm-hmm. to dampen out, you know, for the straightaway. Yep. When that steering damper kicks in in a fast ninety mile an hour broad slide, it tries to pitch you over the bike. And it did pitch Jeff. Yeah, pitched him right over 
Yeah, oh, I see. Because yeah, it starts the dampener starts taking effect when the wheels turn. Type mm-hmm. deal, right? Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, so that was kind of a scary deal. Did you win a lot of money for that? Uh, I don't remember what the purse was for super bikers. The, the Olympia was a really good purse. That was in '77 when they did all the different races separately, and I won that. And I made ten thousand dollars for the, you know, winning. In 1977, that was pretty good. I didn't know anything about this race. What was it? Tell me about this Olympiad race. Uh, I'm too young well, for I'm this. not sure how many years they had it. Uh-huh. Uh, you basically had motocross, drag race, road race, flat track, DT, and they were all different events and timed. And then the riders had to uh, be quarantined with their bikes in the pits and had X number of minutes to work on the bike. You had a marshal there watching you. If you went over that a lot of time, you got penalized points. And not only did you have to ride, you had to make all the changes to your bike to get ready for the next event. Oh. It, it was right down my alley because yeah. I like to work on stuff. And, you know, I, I'm an, I, I like to ride all kinds of different things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just had a blast. Yeah, it does sound something that you'd be super, super stoked on as a technical guy and a guy that, you know, like really really knew how a motorcycle worked. So, huh. Um, super bikers you won once or twice? Won it twice, yeah, eight, in 90, 79 and 84. Okay. And then I won it in Paris, the Guild of New York. Oh, yeah, that's right, that thing. I remember in that. 84. Yeah. Um, Magoo won it, too, I think. Super bikers. Yeah, Magoo's good at that. Yeah. Yeah, Magoo's one guy I would not want to, like, okay, who's going to back it down first here? Uh, you know. How how fast well, did you... Just, he, uh, how, fast did, how fast did you get clocked on, on a KX500? Uh, uphill on that return strip to... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 117 miles an hour. <laughs> oh, really? I think it was that yeah. fast. Wow. Uh, it, the thing that made it difficult was, you know, those frames are not designed to have that much grip. And yeah. So they really, you know, the frames really flex. Yeah. They can get really squirrely. Sure. Yeah. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. They don't. They're not. People don't realize that. But yeah, that's all a uh, design. Um, and the engineers never think that it's going to be put in that much torque. Right? Right, yeah. I mean, those big tires, they have so much more grip. They just, I mean, they, they tell you to rinse that bike out from underneath you. So at the end of 84, you're at Kawasaki for two years. You put in some good results. Uh, did they want to keep you? Were you over it? Um, how'd you decide to hang it up? Well, Roy asked me, he said, do you want to ride another year? And I said, nope, I'm just tired. And I said, I don't, you know, I, I, well, it made me kind of realize that I was in Washougal. Mm-hmm. And I was riding around about seventh place or something, and some guy passed me and didn't know who it was. And I go, this is crazy. I don't really want to be doing this anymore. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you don't want to do it, you shouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah, really, right? So um, I had bought uh, interest in VP Racing Fuels, and I started messing around with that a little bit. Oh, wow. I didn't know I that. I sold that and I did a few other things. Um, did you make some money off the VP thing when you sold it? Not really. No? I, mean, I, okay. I was there when they were in kind of their low spot, and yeah, yeah. they started getting a little better, and I sold out at that point. Now they're they're doing real well. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it's funny, though. Like, you talk about being seventh, okay, and, and a guy passing you in Washougal, and you didn't know who he was, and you were over it. And, you know, Mike Krodowski, the great Mike Krodowski, national champion like, like yourself, uh, he got fifth overall, you know, like a 94, 95, and he was like – I don't want to get fifth. Like I'm, I'm done. I'm out. And I'm always like, man, you could have kept racing, making money. You know, maybe you weren't going to win again because you were older, but you would still be a very, very good rider. And Mike, like yourself, just not interested in that. You know, not, not interested in making money and getting fifths and sevenths and whatever. No, I, I, I agree. I just, I, I think you're out there. You're wasting people's time. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're in people's way. Yep. Um, you know, I just I think if you can't be a contender, you shouldn't be out on the track. Yeah, that's harsh, Kent. But yeah, a guy like yourself that's been so great and won so many races, like that's how you feel, right? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so and like we talked about in the beginning, you still raced San Antonio, Texas. You raced a Gatorback National, but all for fun. You know, mm-hmm. I'll come out. You were on a Honda, right? Or one of them. Yeah, I rode a Honda, and then I rode. The uh, works Kawasaki 500. Yeah, Kawasaki said, "Yeah, here's a I bike." I think I rode the Honda. I rode the Honda down in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I remember a photo of you of MXA. 
Uh, and it's like, yeah, Ken Harrington came back out, got a 10th or whatever. <laughs> and he's, he's, yeah, it was funny. Everybody's like doing double takes. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then I, I tried to ride a Supercross in Houston. Mm-hmm. And I had run the National Hair Scrambles race at San Antonio. They caught San Antonio, but it's really down in El mm-hmm. And uh, I, I finished second or third in that overall. Mm-hmm. And so my bike was set up for the woods. And the dealer, the Kawasaki dealer here in town said, here, if you want to race in uh, Houston, here's the bike. And yep. It was a brand-new stock bike, and I just didn't feel comfortable jumping the bike. And I'd been able to jump all the – I'd jumped the doubles, but not the triples. Yep. And I would have been able to qualify. So – I just barely missed out. <laughs> so funny. Just for fun, though, you know what I mean? And just to come out, yeah, I'm going to come out and ride a little bit here and there. Um, mm-hmm. I spoke of MXA and and Jody and a little bit about the Hannah thing and, and everything else. Uh, do you feel like a little bit of that, a little bit of the coverage, and again, has been slanted a little bit towards Bob and what he said and the battle and everything else. Is it because back then, like, Jody was buddies with him? Um, more than you is did it come into play that way? Like I always feel like nowadays there's all this media, not myself included, but back then it was like Jody Weisel and MXA and, and nothing else. You know, do you feel like yeah. a little bit a little bit of say the view of people who don't know you is shaped oh, by sure. there's, yeah. there's, there's there's favoritism in it, and and anytime you spend just a simple fact if you spend time with somebody, you yep. yeah, mention them more often than somebody or not. I mean, right, just the way it is. Maybe people will listen to this. We get a lot of listens. Maybe people will listen to this and realize there was another side to everything. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I racing is kind of a funny thing. It, it, it's hard to have friends because mm-hmm. you, know, yep. you, you got to beat them. And, you know, I, 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 I'm a very easygoing guy. I don't like it to cause problems. I just, you know, I just fun, enjoy life. Yeah. Have fun. Spend time with my friends. Um, to wrap this pod up, Fly Racing, Racer X Pod with uh, the great Kent Howerton, national champion, Supercross winner. Uh, I'll ask you a few questions um, and give us an idea of uh, some, some one-off thoughts. Uh, favorite track you ever rode, Kent? Is there? Do you have a favorite track, either on the Nationals or, or you know, the Trans Ams or I, anything? I always have to say Unadilla when it was in its old state. Yeah. And I love natural mm-hmm. track. I love grass and all the kids today want to just get the grass off the track. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Crazy. I, I heard stories, uh, Unadilla, back in the day, for the first practices, you would have to clean out your radiators because they were just full of grass. The grass was that tall. Well, the grass the grass was two and a half feet high. Yeah. You couldn't you couldn't even see the track. Can't, I go to, I've been to Unadilla since 95. It's never been like that. I'm always like, where is this oh, Unadilla yeah. I hear about? And, and it used to be super wide. I mean, there were sections that were 80, 90 feet wide. Crazy, huh? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just beautiful. How'd you ever do with the US? How'd you ever do with the USGPs? I don't remember. Um, I'm trying, I don't remember how I did. I, I just didn't get along with Carl's dad very good. No, no, not many people did unless you lived down there, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that track was not very forgiving. No, that dirt was so freaking hard. There's we used to test there a lot. And there's bumps there that been there for ever. Same uh, bump. I've told this story a couple times, but I never, you know, it was long gone by the time I started being a mechanic on the circuit, but I grew up watching the USGPs there and everything. And one day I was working for KTM in the early 2000s and we went testing and at Carlsbad, it was done by then. It was pretty much over. This was 2001 or 2000. And I always tell the story, like at the end of the day, I put on boots and a helmet and gloves and took a 125, you know, around the track. Just because I'm like, I got to say that I rode Carlsbad. I just have to. Like, I just, and mm-hmm. I remember thinking this is the coolest thing ever, except the track was so hammered and dusty and square edged. I'm like, oh my God. But at least I yeah, can say, can't, at least I can't, I can say I rode Carlsbad, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Did you any chipmunks? No, no, I didn't see any. No. They used to run, they used to run across the track. Hard <laughs> enough to hit them. Um, uh, favorite? Not favorite. Uh, best race you ever had. There had to have been a day, Kent, I'm sure there was a few, where you were just untouchable, unbeatable. Um, do, do a couple come to mind where you just remember that day, like it, like even in 2017, you can remember it like it was yesterday and, and you couldn't be beat? Well, there's, the best I, I felt was when I was, it was Red Bed, Michigan, mm-hmm. the Trans Am race, because I'm a Husky, and I had a, as either a 30-second lead or a, 47 second lead Holy smokes, over the yeah. field. And that's with all the Europeans there. Yeah. All the good Americans. 
That made me feel really good. Probably the most excited one and hardest one was the first win at Hangtown. That was really a mud race, and it was just... Oh, was it a mud race? Yeah. Both motors. Yeah. Awesome day. Yeah, just one of those days where you can't, you know, you just, nothing you do is wrong, right? You're just on it. Mm-hmm. Um, favorite bike you had? Now, we talked about a bunch of them in here, and it sounds like you're a real uh, technical thinker kind of guy on a motorcycle. Which bike was your favorite? Was it that 81 Suzuki? Yeah, it'd have to be. Yeah. If, if, if it had better forks on it, it'd be an awesome bike. I mean, just the forks were just a little bit harsh. Mm-hmm. But the bike just worked really well. And full floater. We, I'll tell you a little quick story about it. We were pressing that thing at uh, Mount Morris. Mm-hmm. And at the double shocker, there's a big bowl turn, and it's got a low spot where the water run out there. So it had a little rain rut about six inches deep and about yeah. 12 inches wide. And the double shocker comes through there, and it bottom out and hurts your back. Uh-huh. Get that single shock bike out there, and I go around that corner. No matter how hard I hit it, I couldn't bottom it out on that. And I said, I'm going to race this bike someday. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prototype. Said, yeah. It stayed together today, didn't it? And I said, we're going to race it. They said, oh, no, you can't race it. we got to call the factory. Said, yeah. Go on, call the factory. <laughs> they called, and they said, they said I could race it. Yeah. And I ended up winning. They covered it up with blankets on the start. No way. They Really? Really? Oh, yeah. Um, pulled the blanket off at the one minute. That's funny. Now, what was it about that full floater? Was it the design? Like the way the, the rocker arms worked? I know it was a little bit clunky. It had a lot of moving parts to it. But what was it about the full floater design? And again, you're a thinker kind of guy. I think you might might uh, know this better than most riders. It's, uh, what was it? It just, it just worked. I mean, I, it, it felt like what he was doing is instead of transmitting all the force up, it, it felt like some of it was counteracting it and forcing it back down. So the bike didn't feel like it was being kicked up. And it just had such a good rate. I mean, it, it had good soft dampening at the beginning, but it would finish stiff. It was just it was a good deal. Uh, it was almost like that poison link thing or that amp chain chain torque device they used to have where it, it would almost counteract the suspension a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really mess with that kind of stuff. I know the, the anodized front brakes, I didn't like them at all. Yeah. Because I, you, know, you actually need that front end to dive down to decrease that steering head angle to make the bike turn. Huh. Um, with any dive, the more you put a brake, you put on it, the worse it turns. Sure, yeah. Uh, did you ever get to keep any of your, your factory bikes? I had uh, two, three, three Kawasaki's. Oh. I had my Suzuki and my Husky. Nice. And I just sold my Husky to Bob. He's got a museum in his business, and it's, it's sitting there for everybody to see. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's nice. He did a really good job. Those cowies would have been trick. Aluminum tank, um, water cooling, you know, disc brakes. Well, the, the Kawasaki's were probably the least trick out of all the bikes. Really? Oh, see. The Suzuki's were nice. <laughs> I mean, they, got, they had carbon fiber, titanium, magnesium. Oh, did they really? Everything huh? on the bike. Yeah. Uh, see, that goes I goes to show you my age, right? Where I'm, not, I'm thinking of that cowie. Because it was mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Well, I'm the like, new cowies are a lot different. Yeah. I went in the truck, and, and Rick showed me all the stuff they got. They got actually got good stuff now. Yeah. Uh, Rick Ash, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he just retired. Great guy. Oh, yeah. Terrific guy. Um, he won't... Yeah. He won't do one of these with me. I'm like, Rick, we gotta, I got to call you up. He's like, no, nah, nobody wants to hear what I got to say. And I'm like, no, Rick, you were there, man. You could do it. Like, let's talk. Oh, yeah. You know? So uh, there's, there's so much that happened back then that is going to be lost you know, because we're not yeah. writing it down and not talking about it. No, I know. I did one of these with Dave you know? Arnold. I did one of these with Dave Arnold. It was almost four hours long. It was incredible. Dave had so many amazing stories, mm-hmm. you know, about the, the the nations teams and the factory Hondas and signing these guys and everything else it was it was great so um, there's, there's, there's so many little side stories and stuff that happened back then mm-hmm. um well great Kent thanks uh thanks for your time with the Fly Racing uh, Racer X podcast always wanted to do one of these with you always wanted to catch up uh, um and like I said never met you don't don't know you at all but a great career. Um, with national championships and, and everything else, and, and the super bikers, I'm telling you, I remember the super bikers can't a lot just growing up. So yeah, uh, I, 
got to be my favorite race. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I, I, um, it'd be awesome if they did it now, but the politics involved and the money and everything else it would never ever happen. But I, I like watching that '84 race with, with Brock. Yeah. And, uh, Ricky Johnson. Yeah. I can't. I, I can watch it a hundred times. And I still can't tell who passed the on what lap. <laughs> These were back and forth. It's yeah. Best races. I know. They're on you. Are they on YouTube? I should. I should watch one again. They got to be on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I would think. I got to check them out. Um, but thanks for your time, man. I hope you enjoyed talking uh, and sharing a little bit of your of your story. Like I said, fantastic career, and I'm sure our listeners will dig it. And I'm glad you're doing well. And uh, and also too, there was the guy who set this up was uh, a listener of mine. And I forget his name now, but thanks to that guy. I don't know. He spoke to you about Chris it. Chris Morton. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks to him for lining this all up. Um, and, all... And, and can I thank uh, one of my sponsors? Of course you can. I'd like to thank Fast for the, the, the panel bars that they make. They're very good. Ah, yeah. Yeah. They are good. Um, awesome. Great. And uh, and thanks, Kent. And, and thanks for your time. And uh, and hopefully we'll meet, meet each other down the road somewhere. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck because that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't been, you know, yeah. if, it, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey,